Zach, what's up, man? I feel hey, like I haven't Coop. seen you in ages. <laughs> you look great, man. Hey, I, I mean, I, I haven't changed much. I just quarantine fifteen is looking very good on you. Thank you. I've gotten a lot of compliments. You get. You haven't gained weight. You haven't. You haven't gained a pound, Zach. You wow. Held up well. You're so sweet. You can only see my torso up, though. So I know. I know. The hips don't <laughs> lie, though. Those hips do not lie. <laughs> Zach, you know, I was I was uh, reflecting today. I, crazy. I yeah. Quarantine season. It's been of crazy. Of course. You've been quarantined yeah. on an island. I have. On a uh, Kanaka Cake Hawaii island. On your I've worn island. a mask more than I've not worn a mask. Good I have you. the uh, distance of six feet memorized. Good for you. And, uh, but I was reflecting on back when, back in our college days. Oh, college. The good old back, days. Back in the good old <laughs> days of college. When uh, we were younger we, and more reckless. Last semester. Yeah. I mean, before the, before maturity hit, you yeah. know, yeah. I mean, but, but we, uh, we did some things together during quarantine. We, we did a lot of things. So we were quarantining together. Right. And, uh, one of those days was celebrating okay. the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our personal Lord and savior. Amen. Amen. And amen again, brother. Easter is Easter's. What known as on the streets. Easter. We love Easter. And you got to come to my house for Easter. Of course. I live you Dallas. live about 30, 45 minutes away from DBU where we were living at the time. I live about eight hours away. So I wasn't like, I can just go home. One, it's far. Two, we're quarantined together. So we go to your house. It was great. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to your home. You're welcome. It was you so got fun. to go. Abby got to go. Yeah. Chris Holloway got to go. Shout out. It was amazing. It was so fun. People. And so a lot of families have different holiday traditions, as you know. They do. They so do. do you remember any of your favorites growing up? Yes. So uh, on Christmas morning, we always have Grandma Sally's famous cinnamon rolls. I mean, they're delicious. Homemade. The dough is made from scratch. Amazing. Thank you, Grandma uh, Sally. Thank you. We eat them every Christmas morning. We make like tons of pans. So you eat them. You don't get them until Christmas. And then you get them until like the end of January, if you can mm. ration them out. Mm. It's about a month of rolls. It's roll month. And uh, that's one of my favorite traditions. You actually got to experience another one of my family. I did. That's kind of what I want to talk about. It, yeah. a kind of unconventional, unorthodox uh, family tradition on a holiday. Like we said, I came over to your house on Easter and you had been prepping me before we went. You're like, dude, we do something fun on Easter, but I can't tell you what it is. It would ruin the surprise. Right. So and like, you're like, hunt for eggs. And I'm like, no. Yeah. I was like, that's fun. And you're like, well, everyone does that. We do something different. I was like, of right. course you do. You're the McCulloughs. And so yeah. I go, and I'm like kind of anticipating the other kind of me is like, yeah, I mean, it'll happen. I'm, I'm going to be here. So it'll be fun. Yeah. You know? So it's, it wasn't like I was just dying to know. But I was right. excited. I was excited. Yeah. I and so that. we get to the point, we go outside and you're still inside. And then you come outside with this massive box. And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, all right, what's in the box, Coop? What's going to jump right. out? Please tell me it's right. not a clown. You know, it's like, that would just be a pretty horrible. It's not the Easter tradition you want. No. And Clowns so, aren't meant to last on Easter. Right. And then your dad comes up behind me. And then all of a sudden I see the color of a bandana go in front of my eyes and pull me back and I'm blindfolded and I I don't know where I am. And that makes it worse. Yeah. So now I'm being surprised. You have a massive box that I don't know what's in it and I'm blindfolded. And so, I mean, it's a disaster. It's to say the least. And then your mother comes up and puts a stick in my hand. Yep. So you kind of can see the picture being painted of what's happening. I'm blindfolded. There's a stick in my hand. You have a box. And I am then informed that you have strung a pinata up on the trees 
and I'm to swing at it in hopes of hitting it in hopes of receiving candy. Exactly. It's a pinata. It's our Easter pinata. It's your Easter pinata. Can you explain the Easter pinata to me? Yeah. So essentially, <laughs> actually shout out Grandma Sally again. We usually, we usually meet all like all of my dad's side of the family meets at her house and Papa John, Grandma Sally and Papa John dynamic duo. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I never knew that your grandfather was named Papa John. Yeah. Is he the Papa John? <laughs> no, he's not the Papa John. He's a I, Papa John. I mean, Grandma he's Sally my, is your he's Papa my John. Papa John. <laughs> I don't have a Papa John. Well, Grandma Sally is a legend, but I did not know she was married to a Papa John. Yeah, it's because Papa John's not not present on Facebook. Grandma Sally's very present on Facebook. <laughs> She's very active. Go find Grandma Sally on Facebook. Uh, yeah, you can't, you can't miss her. Anyway, but, but anyways, she just thought it'd be fun one year to buy a pinata for Easter. She just saw it, and uh, it's and I want you to know it's not an Easter egg or no. like a bunny. It's like a ours was a cactus or a sombrero. Yeah, ours was a. It's like a. It's like a literal just pinata on because that's what pinatas are for. They're they're gearing up for the Cinco de Mayo coming up. Right. Right, exactly. And so, but Grandma Sally said, today's our day. And so about, I mean, probably five, six, seven years ago, our first pinata. And I think, I mean, I think it's a beautiful reminder that as God's blood, <laughs> go. as, 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 as Christ's body was broken, broken for you. Yeah, yeah. So, and then you get to receive the grace because of that. Mm. You too get to enjoy the breaking of the pinata and then receive the goodies inside. The grace I think in, it's a, in the it's form a, of sour It's a picture straws. of the biblical narrative. I'm not going to lie. I like I swung for that piñata and missed. You're the one that actually smacked the piñata. I mean, and, I've had years of practice. Yeah, I know. You're amazing. Uh, you're good at everything. What are you Thank not you. good Thank at? You. Anyway. I think you. You burst the piñata open, and it's like my life goes into slow motion. And I just hear like a gospel choir singing, hallelujah, 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 yeah. hallelujah. And, it, and candy is flying. And I, I'm not going to lie, a tear streamed down my right cheek. I saw it. It and glistened. It, it glistened across my face because it was just the powerful reminder of a pinata and the broken body of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Does it get any better than that? Easter well, tell us to clarify. I hit the pinata, broke it. Then Chris was up. Chris actually hit the pinata and that's what sent the candy flying. Just you make loosened sure it up straight. as they say. Right. 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 I, I, I opened, gotcha. I cracked the jar open a little bit. You know what I mean? And we're all thankful that, I mean, you're the experienced pinata hitter and that you did not break it for all of us and ruin the night. Right. Right. You're I just so, wanted to weaken it. You're so nice. It's just a it's just a reminder that God's body was broken for you so that you might experience life, life to the full. Amen. On 10, 10. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm Zach Funderburg here with my co-host, Cooper McCullough, the pinata assassin, as they call him on the streets. That's me, the pinata assassin. That's you. Blindfold or no blindfold, I know what I'm doing. I'm good at my job. And Zach, we have an incredible interview. Yeah. Possibly, as you might have said before in the past, my favorite interview. It is my favorite. I got to listen to it. I, I'm not conducting the interview. Cooper, yeah. tell us about your interview. I did. So while I'm here at family camp, there are some sensational people that mm. get to come through these gates mm. of KKY. And one of those people is Clay Scroggins. Mm. I actually found out he does, in fact, have his doctorate. So yeah. Dr. Clay Scroggins, the doctor. He, uh, he did his dissertation in online church, which is crazy, like relevant for time right now. We don't talk about that in the yeah. interview, but so he, know, he knows about it. <laughs> he, know, he knows about it. Right. But he is um, one of the campus pastors for North Point Community Church, which was 
kind of under the leadership of Andy Stanley. So he's gotten to sit under his leadership and uh, he's written multiple books. One of them is called how to lead when you're not in charge. The other one's how to lead in a world full of distraction. Come on. And so he knows about leadership. He and I got to talk specifically about his book, how to lead when you're not in charge. And uh, it's a pretty interesting interview. Yeah. I had a you know, blast it's interesting. doing it. I could tell you had a blast, Cooper. It was so fun. He was, uh, he literally got right out of the pool, walked into the chapel where we were recording and uh, just sat down and recorded. I, I will say, I'm not going to give it away, but the, at the very last line of this, this interview is my favorite Cooper McCullough quote I've ever heard. I'm not going to spoil it, but it is so funny. I, I, I wow. rolled, I rolled on the ground laughing. It's why, I mean, it's, it's not because it was wise. It wasn't a wise quote. No, it, was it wasn't a wise. humorous one. It was good, though. It was funny. Zach, something cool about this episode is while we were at camp, one of the guys here that is AV, he actually started his own production company. It's called A2, the number two, Z Productions, A to Z Productions. And he was like, dude, I'll record your podcast for you. Just let them know where they can find me if they're looking to do any recording or anything like that. And so if you guys, listeners, are into recording and looking for someone to do it, you can email my friend. His name is Zeb. He's pretty awesome. You can email him at a number two z productions dot info gmail dot com. He helped us out, so I said I'd uh, give him a little shout out. The social media is a number two z productions twenty twenty. So if you're into that, want to get more info, feel free to DM him or email him. But yeah, pretty cool. The episode was recorded by him in the studio. It was amazing. Well, come on. Shout out Zeb. He helped us out so much. Coop, introduce your interview. Well, without further ado, no more diddle daddle. No more getting caught in the weeds. Yeah, no more weeds. This is my favorite interview with the Dr. Clay Scroggins. Couldn't have said it better myself. Awesome. Well, I'm here with Clay Scroggins as he just emerged from the pool here at camp. Wrapped in, in a towel. Just wrapped in a towel. Man, I appreciate you taking the time <laughs> away from your family for a little bit and meeting with me. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Glad to do it. I love that y'all have this podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's well, really cool. I appreciate it. I'd love for you to start. Just kind of introduce yourself. Who are you? Man, what's your role today? How'd you get there? What did that path to leadership look like? Well, I'm 40 years old. Sheesh. Uh, I am a grown man. Wow. I mean, you look, you look at least 38. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. I wish I was 22. Gotcha. Uh, are you 22? I'll turn 22 in August. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Alabama. Great family. My family are Christian people. So grew up around faith, but never thought I would go into ministry. Yeah. And then went to Georgia Tech, studied engineering. Uh, did not do very well in it. <laughs> Told them, if you will let me out of here, I promise you I'll never use it. Yeah. And they said, deal. That's good. So you bargained I, with them. I did. Yeah. And I have stayed true to my word. Uh, moved to Dallas, Texas to go to seminary. Big Dallas guy. Big Dallas guy. Um, graduated from Dallas Seminary. Met my wife there. That was the best thing that happened while I was there. She is a Texas A&M Aggie. Wow. Whoop. She whoops. Gig them. Yep. And she gigs them. I do neither of those things. <laughs> I don't either. I appreciate those that do. I remember the first chapel I had at DTS where a, um, uh, it was Rick Rigsby. Okay. He's a professor i don't know part-time professor i don't know what adjunct professor maybe maybe a full-time professor at texas he does A&M. something he does something right. at texas A&M. right and when they introduced him they everyone whooped you and feel it was left the out? first i was i felt like i was like uh i don't know like i had dropped into some alien world where they communicated a different yeah. way yeah i don't know i, I it, it totally caught me off guard um I moved back to Atlanta for me 
and my wife moved to Atlanta with me, which was wonderful that she did that. But she's a Texan. Yeah. So that's a lot to get a Texan to move out of Texas. Mm-hmm. It is. You know that. I'm a Texan. Who hasn't moved out of Texas. I've lived in Texas <laughs> for 100% of my lifetime. She was the same way. So I uh, worked in student ministry at our church. Then uh, I've bounced around a bunch within our organization. We've got seven churches in the Atlanta area. And I currently manage, uh, I lead our church in the uh, city. The, the, our campus is located in the city of Atlanta okay. in a little, um, I don't know how to describe Buckhead, but it's kind of the business entertainment district of Atlanta, but also um, a lot of, it's kind of a suburb within the city, gotcha. I guess you could say. So lead that church, and I've been doing that now for a year. We've got five kids, 11 down to two, and I'm at Canacuck right now. Yes. Hanging out with you, just laughing hysterically at your characters. Oh, well, thank you. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's awesome. You recently wrote a book called How to Leave When I'm Not in Charge. And we were talking, joking before that now, because you wrote a book, you're an expert on the topic and you've done tons of interviews on this specific topic. Yes, but I love it. I enjoy it. I mean, hopefully you wrote a book on it. Yeah. So I would love to kind of just hear like, what does that mean to lead when you're not in charge? Just kind of general, like that's a catchy title, but what does that actually mean? Yeah, I think um, I bumped into that title because I was trying to describe what I was feeling And it's pretty cool when you bump into something that you're like, oh, that's not new to me. Loads of people feel that way. And so um, I was trying to, at the time, which I still am, trying to figure out how to influence the organization that I work for. Because naturally, the way I see the world, in my mind, is the right way to see the world. And I think that... All the ideas I have, we ought to do them. Right. But it doesn't really work that way, mostly because they're not always the best ideas. But sometimes um, sometimes you do have an idea that you feel really passionate about or a direction or a vision or a, um, uh, a, a project even that you think, you know, our church should pay attention to or should get behind. And I was just trying to figure out how do I use the 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 – influence that I'm in from the position I'm in, even though I don't have all the authority I might want to be able to get people to move in the direction I think they ought to move in. Mm -hmm. And that's not easy to do. It feels like if you're the boss, you can just tell everyone to do that. But if you're not, you've got to figure out how to, how to lead. Yeah. And turns out, um, the, the lie of it is that when you become the boss, uh, it's, it might be slightly easier to get people to do it, but it doesn't mean it's any better. You actually still have to learn how to influence people uh, because we all want to work. We, none of us want to work for someone, I should say, that uses their authority to get us to do what they want right. us to do. Kind of powerful. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I uh, liken it to the um, having a, a gun of authority. If mm-hmm. you were to pull it out and go, I'm in charge, I'm the boss, everybody go. You know. Yeah, they'll listen. Well, they will for a little while, right. but then they'll also look for another job because nobody wants to work for someone like that. So, um, yeah, I guess what I was bumping into was a pretty substantial foundational principle of leadership that leadership is really all about influence, mm-hmm. not a position or not uh, the amount of authority you have or don't have. So that's what, um, that's what the book's about. Yeah. That's awesome. So kind of 
from there, kind of with the understanding of what that means, what would you say to the listener who's, man, what's I make it to, insert accolade they just like they want to get to then i'll start leading or then i can start making a change but like right now i don't really have any value i'm just kind of doing the things that i'm being told to do but once i make it there then like i'll have some leadership well i mean the way you articulated that question is exactly what i was feeling yeah and i think a lot of people feel that way so take the role you're in you started at canacuck as Counselor, just the ropes course guy, regular right. counselor, regular mm-hmm. ropes course guy. Um, and it would have been real easy then to think, oh, I can't, I can't really make a difference until I become the leader of all the ropes course yeah. or until I become the men's director or until I lead all the programming. Like it seems like you do now. That would be your title. Yeah. Pr- programming programs director. director would be my role now. Um, so what I started finding was I, I made about three moves in my career where I grew in my authority. So yeah. I went from being a student pastor of a, about 100 kids to being student pastor to about 800 students to yeah. becoming a campus pastor of a campus, about 6,000 people on a Sunday with about 50 staff. And after I made that third big move in my career, I remember thinking, oh, now I'm more in charge than I used to be, but I'm still not in charge enough to be able to get everybody to do what I think they ought to do. And so I started, that's when I really started to understand, oh, it's about influence no matter what position you're at. So it doesn't matter if you're just a guy working the ropes course or if you're a girl working in the kitchen or if you're the programs director uh, or if you're the boss of the whole camp, but you're not the CEO of Canacuck. Yeah. There's still going to be a lack of authority that feels like it's keeping you from doing what you think needs to be done. And as long as you allow that to be an excuse, it will always be an excuse. Yeah. Or you can learn how to lead when you're not in charge. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a great title for a book that you should write, I think. <laughs> so kind of with that, like, that's great and, and important. Do you think it's with that understanding, is it okay to still have ambition to want to be a yeah. leader and desire title? Do you think that's still relevant or should we, how do we balance, I guess, wanting to be a leader, but focusing on the influence that we have now? Yep. That's a great question. Uh, Ambition is a really tricky topic because we all have it. um, But at the same time, the Bible certainly warns against a certain kind of it. So the way I think of it, I think of it like a spectrum. On one end, you've got completely selfish ambition. I want to be the boss so that I can be the boss. Uh, If you haven't read Patrick Lencioni's new book, The Motive, he speaks directly to this, where he says most people want to be the boss because they think it's a reward of leadership. Now I get to have the corner office. Now I get to have the bathroom in my office. Now I get to use the company jet or the... That's (laughs) what Canicuck lets me do because I'm the program director. Yeah, I use the company jet. (laughs) So there's that end, which that's not good. Right. But then on the other end is no ambition. That's not good either because right. God put that, you know, Genesis 1, 28 and 29, the, the, uh, the mandate that God gave humanity that we're to do two things. We're to populate the earth and then we are to subdue the earth. And that word subdue, that verb means uh, it, the, the Hebrew verb that the author of Genesis used was the word kabosh, that we are to kabosh the earth, subdue the earth. Mm-hmm. But it's not like a kibosh, like in, uh, there's a clip in Seinfeld where they use the term kibosh. This guy leaves this voicemail on Jerry's machine and says, Seinfeld, I heard you put the kibosh on my 
NBC show where I'm going to put the kibosh on you. I've kiboshed once, and I've, I'm going to put kibosh again. Okay. That's the voicemail. Could you define kibosh? Yeah, kibosh means, like, I'm going to, like, I'm going to um, destroy it. Put it, it to an I'm end. I'm going to put it to an end. Okay. I'm going to, like, snuff it out. Gotcha. I'm going to keep it under my thumb. For sure. I knew that, but just for the other listeners. For the listeners. Right, 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 right. Uh, it's always for the listeners. Of course. You know? Of course. Um, the it, Jesus... Uh, in Mark 10, when he, when his followers, when Peter and John are fighting to be on the left hand or the right hand mm. so that they could get in a bigger position, um, he even tells them that. He says, hey, you might notice that the Gentiles, they lord their authority over other people, yeah, but not so with you. And I think when I think about kibosh, I think about that, lording your authority over other people, keeping them under your thumb. Yeah. And he says, not so with you. So it's not... It's not having so much ambition that you have to be in charge, want to be in charge, it's all about yourself, but it's not having zero because it, it was put in us. It's a mandate that we've been given to subdue. So it's appropriate to want to create things and build things and design things. And, you know, for me, I've wanted to be a leader ever since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. And I really do think it's God given. I think God yeah. put that thing in me that says, hey, go bring order to things, go subdue the earth, go make something great out of what it is, the opportunities that I've given you. So I think there is a healthy amount of ambition. Uh, I think the the question we've got to decide is who am I, who is it for? Yeah. That really is going to determine what it's about. If the ambition is for you, if it's to make you look great, get on a stage so that people would look at you, um, yeah. I think that's where we get in trouble. That ultimately the best ambition is I want God's glory. I want to bring him glory. I want to make him great. And so I want, if he can use me to help do that, that would be awesome. And it would yeah. make me come alive more and I'd be exercising my gifts. I think that's the kind of ambition we've got to aim for. So if you're a associate student pastor at a church and you want to be a student pastor because you think you could subdue students yeah. in a way that would bring God a lot of glory, go for it. Yeah. I think that's a great ambition. If you're a student pastor and you want to be a senior pastor one day because you think you could design a church, create a church, lead people in such a way that it might bring God a lot of glory, want to be a senior pastor. If you're a programs director at a camp and you want to be a camp director because you think you might be able to subdue the camp in such a way that would bring God a lot of glory, yeah. go for it. I think yeah. it's a great I think it's a great thing. That's but awesome. It's a dangerous thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's super, I guess, relatable, understandable of the scale, the spectrum, but kind of thinking through even more of, as we're talking about um, ambition for leadership and things like that, what do you think the value is of even having a leadership title? Like I see people in my life that have the leadership title that have been poor leaders. And then I see people that have no title and they're probably better leaders than those with the title. So is the title even what we should be chasing after? Or how do you, I guess, kind of, what are your thoughts on this situation that I feel like a lot of people probably find themselves in of seeing leaders that have the title do poorly, but people without the title do well. Well, what you just explained is uh, really important because that that's the argument that I use to say, Hey, you can lead wherever you are. You can lead from whatever position you're in. We know, we know leaders that have big titles that aren't doing great things. And we know leaders that don't, that have done great things. Historically, you look at, Dr. King, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, examples like that. They had no title and they did great things. Um, so I think to me, uh, that just shows me that you can have influence from whatever position you're in. But does the title, your question was, does the title do any good? 
sure, there is some benefit to having a title. Yeah. Um, but it's all about how you use it and what you think the title is for. I think there's a reason why we give people titles. Uh, I think the camp director at Canacuck needs the title camp director. Of course. Because we all look to leaders and for clarity's sake, for organization's sake, yeah. we can't just go, no, we don't Whoever's do gonna leadership be the most here. Faithful. That's we'll just right. Just look around and find whoever you can. No, right. we put certain people with certain skills and experience in a position, and then we give them a title to just clarify the way an organization works. So I do think there is something helpful about it, but the point of this book is just um, if, if, if you're after it for the title's sake, no, you're going to – you're going to miss right, out because right. I guarantee you what you find out is that the title is empty. The title doesn't fulfill. Yeah. And I don't mean to get overly spiritual about leadership, no, but yeah. ultimately uh, if you're looking for a level of leadership to make you feel worth anything or worth something, yeah. of course it's going to fit, leave you lacking because a title was never meant to bring value to you. It was just meant to clarify the role that you play in the world. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that it's, it's where I started in this book is I, I started with these four behaviors that mm-hmm. I'm trying to do to cultivate more influence for myself. Yeah. But I realized as I was getting into the writing of it, I realized I had to really start with identity because you can't want to be in charge because you think it's going to make you more valuable. It's a bad starting place. You're, you're going to fail from the beginning. Yeah. yeah but ultimately, you got to know you've got to know what your identity is and you've got to know whose you are before any of this even begins. Yeah. If you want to have any success of, uh, helping people in general. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great point of understanding where we come from or like where our leadership comes from and things like yes. that. Um, and with that kind of understanding, okay, even though maybe we don't have a title, we don't have that. And, it's okay to have ambition for it. What are some things that we can do now to be a blessing to those who are leading us? And if you have any maybe like stories that come to mind from past experiences for you of how you've done that or how people have done that for you, just kind of yep. how do we bless those who we're, we're under? Yep. Well, that's what I, um, that's what these four things, these four behaviors were really about. Is yeah. And what are the four behaviors? If you'll start, if you want to lead yourself, if you want to, if you want to lead without, authority if you want to learn to lead when you're not in charge and there's a hundred things you could do but these are the four things i wrote about that yeah. i was trying to do myself is i think you start by leading yourself well mm-hmm. i've got to lead me really well so the people that work for me that are leading themselves really well are delightful they're awesome to lead because it's way easier to steer a horse than it is to pick up and carry a horse. Yes, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I've never picked up a horse before, but I would imagine it's difficult. I've tried a few times, and it is <laughs> In rough. Alabama? Yeah, yeah. growing up, yeah. that's right. Um, but yeah, if you, if you can get someone who's leading themselves, I mean, they're asking evaluative, reflective questions about themselves. They're trying to learn and grow. They're trying to understand their own strengths and their yeah. own weaknesses. They're reading books on their own. They're thinking about things on their own. They're starting podcasts. They're interviewing other leaders. Yeah. That's what you want. You want someone who's not waiting on you to feed them, but they're a self-feeder. They're leading themselves well. And then secondly, it's a person that's choosing positivity, even when they don't understand the why, even when they don't agree with the reason why, even when they don't understand where this is all taking us. Um, But it's, it's choosing an attitude of, Hey, I'm going to be for this. I'm going to be, I'm going to be all in 
on what we're doing. Thirdly, it's the person that's thinking critically. And what I mean by that is they're thinking about how to make this better. You know, if I were leading this camp, and I would want every counselor working here to be walking around going, how could we make this thing better? Right. Why not? You've got a hundred people right. who probably have some great ideas, probably some bad ideas, but probably some great right. ideas. There's too. bound to be a, like the spectrum, just like ambition. Right? There's right. gotta be some good ideas. There's some bad totally. ideas. Uh, like I'm sure the, you know, the phone party that you guys threw, I'm yeah. sure at some point that probably came from a counselor that did not come from the 50 year old director right. of this right. camp. Right. And that's remarkable leadership from the 50 year old director to go, Hey, there's college students that know how to have a good time. Yeah. That's what you guys do on a regular basis. It seems. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the best things you do. You try. You try. So thinking critically is about bringing value. It's yeah. about, I'm going to make it better today. I'm not just going to turn my mind off and walk around and go, this place is awesome. Everything about it is amazing. Whatever you say goes boss. I'm all in. Yeah. That's cool. But you also want somebody who's going, Hey, uh, have we thought about reordering the schedule of the day? Right. Because the way it's currently scheduled, we don't optimize the amount of time that we get to spend with students or yeah. kids. I mean, that's amazing if somebody's thinking about that. And, and I think then, that's key too. what we just said. Of not, it's not just like, oh, well, the schedule's horrible. I hate this place. Well, that's what a lot of people do. Right. A lot of people think critically, and then they, they just really easily become overly critical. Right. And it's one of the most difficult things about thinking critically is how do you think about how to make things better without becoming a critic? Right. That's a real challenge. Uh, that's a big part of the the chapter that I wrote on thinking critically is how do you how do you uh, gain that skill hone that skill without becoming somebody that's just grumpy all the time about all the things that are wrong and how nobody will listen to your ideas yeah and then the last one is to reject passivity uh is to push off or fight against not doing anything because one of the easiest things to do when you're not in charge is just to sit back and go well see how this goes they didn't ask me yeah I'm not in charge if they would have wanted this to go well they should have asked me, right. but they didn't. Right. So, yeah. I mean, I, the example I use all the time is our offices are, they have a lot of uh, glass walls. And so you can see, you walk past a room and you can see who's in the room yeah. in the meeting. And I, I used to think that the longer I was there, the less my feelings would get hurt that I wasn't invited in a meeting. But it's actually uh, inversely true that gotcha. the longer I've been there, the more my feelings get hurt. Yeah. There's that one invited. Friday, 2.30 meeting that you walk by. It's like all my friends are there. I'm like, what? Or, wow, like yeah. this hurts, yeah. you know, Checking and you your can inbox. see totally like, yeah. did I miss it? Yeah. Right. FOMO <laughs> at, a, at a leadership totally. uh, meeting. And, and you think like FOMO is going to end when you graduate from college, I guess, but it's still, it's always there. And so I, I can do the math on based on who's in the room. I can know what the meeting's about. Of course. And so I remember this one particular day walking by and it was a meeting about a conference that we're throwing mm-hmm. and they did not invite me. And so if, my tendency was to go, well, I hope the conference isn't any good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is like, you hate having to say that, but it's like, we all feel that to some extent. Because if you would have wanted the conference to be good, you would have invited me to the meeting and you didn't. So really they wanted the conference to be bad. You must have not wanted it to be as great as possible. Because if you had wanted it to be great, you would have wanted my ideas in the room and clearly you didn't. So all I can do is just hope that it's mediocre at best. Yeah. Uh, That's just what we do when we're not in charge is we just throw our hands up like Tal Cruz and, you know, just sit back and go, well... If you would have wanted me to be involved, you would have asked me, but since I'm not, and we just can become really passive. So I I think a a trait of a leader that's cultivating influence when they're not in charge is I'm going to reject passivity. I'm not going to sit around. And then the flip side of that is sometimes we go, oh, well, I I wasn't invited to the meeting, but I'm still going to work on a bunch of ideas that I could give them, but people don't do that. 
they do they don't do that because they think well that's a waste of time i'm mm-hmm. you know they're never going to take my ideas or they're never going to listen oh yeah yeah and so we just don't put in the effort when uh you know if, if i if if somebody came to me instead of just being real grumpy about what's happening on sundays in our church services but they came and said hey i put a team together and i've thought about the way the service begins and this team is looking at how to bring more energy at the beginning of the service and so we've just been working on some stuff and here's five ideas we've thought about yeah, I mean, that's... I would be like, thank you. Oh, my yeah. God. I mean, <laughs> would we do all five of them? Probably not. Yeah. But I would be so grateful that somebody's thinking about yeah. how to make it better as opposed to just sitting back with a clipboard, <laughs> which is what most of us do, yeah, just, just grading, going like, mm, decent, you know, right. wow, right. oceans again. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's Seriously? like just like a scout, like a baseball scout in the <laughs> back. Yeah, that's like, right. Yeah. That's right. This Analyzing. is so double A. Yeah, that's awesome. Those are four. I think those are great. Like so that's behaviors. what the book is yeah. ultimately about, those four things. So if anybody's listening and you're thinking, man, I should go buy this book, you don't need to now. Oh, I just gave it to gotcha. you. Well, thank you. Yeah, Thanks for you doing got that. It. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, another question kind of just talking about being under leaders is, what does it look like to challenge the leaders that you're under well yeah. and not kind of, I guess, overstep, but also holding people to a standard? There's just, I think, another spectrum to be talked through there. For like, sure. What are your thoughts on that? Cooper, this is the flow of the book that we're talking about. Mm. I start with identity. I talk about ambition. I lay out these four things. And then I got done and I was like, you know what I bet is going to happen is somebody might read this, hopefully, at least my mom will. Yeah. And then they'll be like, I need to go have a hard conversation with my boss now because I've got some ideas or I've got some things that I think could change to make this better. How do you appropriately challenge your boss without putting your boss off because all of us, uh, none of us love being challenged yeah. because being challenged naturally feels like a critique. Right. It feels like you're telling me that what we're currently doing isn't good enough and that you could do it better. And that's going to put me off. But we, but at the same time, we all know the only time things change is when they're challenged. Yeah. You don't change things that aren't challenged. And so if things are going to change in your organization or at your camp or at your church, you have to challenge things. But how do you do that in a way that doesn't put people off? That's right. the real trick of it. That's black belt ninja level leadership. Yeah. I mean, it's the really difficult stuff. But I, um, the, the, my favorite story around this was uh, I, I sent these two, I, I had written these two chapters. I sent them to a buddy of mine. I was like, hey, what do you think about this? He responded back and he's like, I mean, I think the content's fine, but I feel like you need like an anchor story. Is there like an example of somebody that did this really well? So I'd been talking to some people and somebody told me about this Chick-fil-A franchise that is in uh, Athens, Georgia, that started selling a milkshake before Chick-fil-A put the milkshake on the menu. Wow. Which Is that ever, even allowed? You, well, I didn't think so. I have mean, you ever worked at Chick-fil-A? I have not. It's, I mean, you, my, it's my pleasure to be doing this interview, but I've never actually worked <laughs> at a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Well, I haven't either, but yeah, I mean, you can just imagine the uproar that that would cause right. with the other Chick-fil-A's. Well, why'd they get it first kind of thing? And how did you get to do that? Yeah. And are you allowed to do that? Right. And are you being like a renegade? Like, right. what are you going to do next? Like, anarchy, wings? Chick-fil-A like, anarchy. That's right. Yeah, pretty soon they're selling hamburgers. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. So his name is Shane Todd. So I called him and I did a, a number of interviews with him and I ended up interviewing his, uh, at the time, the guy that was the vice president of menu strategy mm-hmm. who would have been the one that could have said, Hey, no, yeah. or could have been the one that could have said, wow, why are we not doing this everywhere? Right. And 
interviewing both of them was a fascinating uh, experience because they told me the whole story. And one of the first things that Shane Todd told me is he was like, well, first of all, I know what is core to Chick-fil-A and what is not. And the milkshake is so close to core of what we do. I would have never done a pizza or right. a hamburger or something like that because that's just ridiculous. And I was like, yeah, of course. Right. Uh, <laughs> but Loki, I was, I was hoping that there'd <laughs> no, be a Chick-fil-A That's pizza. right. Yeah. That's right. But if you have that secret menu item, right. here's my address. That's right. How fun would that be? Um, and he said, the other thing I learned about it is he said, um, Dan Cathy at the time, mm-hmm. who obviously Truett's son, who was the right. CEO at the time, now Tim Tisopoulos is the CEO of Chick-fil-A, but Dan Cathy was all about second mile service in that season of their uh, of their company's life cycle. And uh, Shane said, I just knew making a milkshake for customers, customers were asking for it. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that if we could serve an amazing chicken sandwich with some awesome waffle fries to a customer, and then afterwards they would come up and say, hey, I really would love a milkshake. He said, it's really just taking our ice cream and doing a little extra work to give the customer what they want to mm-hmm. go to the second Oh, so this is the them. first time a milkshake was served at Chick-fil-A? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying it was like they brought in the peach milkshake no. and added to the menu. The first ever milkshake. Milkshakes wow, okay. were not just on raised the, the menu. Bar. You've raised the bar for me. He showed I'm me, now more invested in the story. He sent me a picture of the sign that he put. It's like one of those, uh, you know, those signs, um, you know, called 1-800-WERE-MOVERS. Uh-huh little signs on the side of the road. They put those outside of their Chick-fil-A saying, we've got milkshakes, $2.99 for a milkshake. Wow. And they sold chocolate ones and vanilla ones. That's it. This is before, it, it wasn't even on the menu. Yeah. So yes, I mean, this is like, <laughs> wow, okay. insane to think about. Insane. Yes. And uh, anyway, all, the, all that to say, the whole, I mean, I, I wrote about the whole story in the book, but that the, the the, the reason why I brought that up is because you ask, how do you challenge your boss well? Yeah. Well, what he did, I feel like, was textbook how to challenge your boss well. Mm. Because he, he, they, they gave him the freedom to try something, and he was bold enough to try something that ended up, it, you know, and he was great about saying, hey, look, the milkshake we serve now is not the milkshake that we were serving back then. Right. He's like, basically, we were genuinely taking the ice cream, putting a little extra milk in it, putting some Hershey syrup in it, and we had gotten a machine that mixed it up, and that was it. Now there's a whole, a, a much right. more developed product. But, um, yeah, I think it was 2016, 2017, the milkshake was voted the number one menu item on Chick-fil-A's menu, which says a lot uh, yeah. for a company that sells so amazing food. <laughs> amazing chicken sandwiches. Yeah. And <laughs> I've invented had, the chicken sandwich. I've had friends that go and do, like, review milkshakes from fast food restaurants oh, yeah. or whatever for fun, and they've, said the Chick-fil-A's milkshake is one, yeah. one of the best. So anyway, it's a, it's a great story on how to challenge your boss well, but I think there's a lot of learnings from the way Shane did it. He did it in a way that didn't make them feel... Um, Undercut. That's right. Yeah. Or that he was being disloyal, that he was being a renegade. Um, he, it, there's just a lot to take away from the way he did that. Yeah, and I think that kind of loops in perfectly with the next question I had of like, how can I create changes that I think I want to see in the organization, but I don't have the power, and I think that story kind of perfectly wraps yep. up with that as well. Well, and one of the things that Woody Falk, who at the time was the VP of their menu strategy, one of the first things Woody said is he was like, well, first of all, Shane had been working with us for 15 years. Everybody knew Shane. He's a wonderful person. And we knew he was all on board with what we were doing. So there was no question about his his character and his integrity and the kind of person he was. So I think that's where you start is you've got to develop a brand for yourself. Yeah that is built on 
integrity and character and loyalty and dependability and responsibility right. that Proverbs, the Proverb 22, one, a good name is better than great riches. Mm -hmm. That's what I think that's what will open up the door to be able to make changes. And so that's the problem a lot of people have is, you know, they come in as an intern, they've been here for three months and they're like, this is so frustrating. Like I've given them like seven ways they could make this place better yeah. and they haven't taken any of them. Yeah. And you're like, okay. like what's the mission statement? How long well, have I don't you know. been? I don't know the mission statement. <laughs> right. I'm just telling you that slide could be better right. if they would make it whatever. So um, yeah, that's the problem most of us have is we want that to happen immediately and it can happen quickly, but it's just not going to happen immediately. It happens through... Uh, well, it happens in the way Jesus taught us that responsibility happens, that if you are faithful with a little bit, yeah. you will be entrusted more. So that simple principle, that's the greatest way we make changes is we are faithful on the ropes course, and then we're faithful with the small group that they've given us, and yeah. then we're faithful with the hundred students, and we're over time entrusted with more, and yeah. we're given the opportunity to make changes. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Kind of switching gears, I guess, a little bit of not as much. I, I mean, maybe this is in your book, but I actually, confession, I haven't read your book. I own it. I actually bought it, I think, a year ago, and I haven't read it. So this is me apologizing you. You don't to need you. to now. Right. right. So now don't. I've spoken to the source. Yeah. Now I'll just recommend it to all my friends. Yeah, you should totally read <laughs> okay, it. Okay, <laughs> I, will, I will do that. No, not you. I'm saying you should tell your friends. No, yeah, I mean, I'll recommend it. <laughs> yes, like, I'll, yes, I will totally yes, say yes. those things. But I, would, I wanted to ask, just kind of from getting to know you, over the years through camp, you're someone that I feel like does a great job of balancing fun in your leadership. I think you're someone that gives off fun vibes, if you will. Um, and so that's kind of just one one question I wanted to tack on the end of just what are some ways that you fight for fun atmosphere in, within your staff and within the people that you lead, yet not sacrificing of being like the pushover boss that's fun or like, I guess kind of more culture question, yeah. but just kind of this is something from knowing you that I've observed that I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on. Well, number one, thank you. Yeah. Um, I would say for me, a lot of it is my own temperament and wiring. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I am a, an Enneagram seven. Okay. I know this, that does mean something to me. Are you? I'm an, I'm an eight wing seven. You're an eight. That's what I've been. That's a, so I'm you either an eight or a three. And and people are like, oh yeah, they're always mis like, yeah. those two are always misconstrued. I mean, it would be way more in line with a three to be twenty one years old with their own podcast than an eight. Maybe. But well, by Zach, the co-host, he's a three. Okay. So okay. so maybe okay. maybe so that's provided part of it. The for a long time, I thought I was a three. Now I'm not sure. I think I might be more of an eight as I look at some of the tendencies. But that's not. I don't. I I don't like to to identify as one. I okay. guess you know. I'll just yeah. I'll just. Whatever I'm feeling. Don't, don't, don't try to. Maybe I'll add, I'm an 11. In, I'll bro. just add them. I'm there you 11. go. Okay. Um, I am a seven. Okay. I'm an enthusiast. Yeah. So I love fun. I'm right. always looking out in the future. What's coming. What's fun. What's right. exciting. Um, but I would say, I would, I would say our, for our organization, our culture, what I would hope that people would pick up on is that we value fun. Yeah. We see, uh, it, it's not a we hope you enjoy this because you would like it better if you enjoy it. <laughs> we believe if you're enjoying it, you will do a better job. Right. So we think that fun actually affects the product, that it will create a better atmosphere for what we're trying to create. So right. um, I would, if I were not a seven and somebody were to say, what are you trying to do with your culture? I would say 
you got to start with valuing fun. It's got to mm-hmm. be a big part of what you do. Right. Um, there's a lot of companies that have fun as a value. I'm, I mean, it's crazy. If you just go like look at companies' values, mm-hmm. three out of five companies, I would guess, wow. have the word fun. Not okay. even like they haven't even found a right, fun right. way to say it. <laughs> right. So like, it's yeah. just fun. Right. Which whenever I see that, I'm like, I don't know. I'm so skeptical now. Is it I'm actually like, though? Really? You're not, if you use the word fun. And <laughs> I don't know if it's really <laughs> right. a big deal to right. you. But um, It's like diet soda. It's like, is it actually <laughs> right? Come right. on. I'm drinking one. Um, <laughs> which is so fun. Sorry to call you out right there. <laughs> it's not Dr. Pepper. Um, but I think, I think you gotta, you've got to be convinced that it matters. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, we've gotten in trouble though, not, not in trouble with it, but I remember we had a guy at our 20th anniversary as an, as a church. Um, we did this big, it was our staff meeting where we were celebrating it. Yeah. And it was a guy who just had come on our staff and he was, um, bent in a much more serious way. Yeah. Which is valuable to have on the team. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And we have a lot of people that are more serious and we had at the staff meeting it was really just a lot of fun i mean we were celebrating what god had done yeah but it it was not like a we didn't there wasn't like 45 minutes of praise and worship right in fact um we had montel jordan come to our staff meeting okay uh this is how we do it this is how we do it uh which is in the like bullseye of my musical uh, preferences yes as Taste. a 16 year old okay yeah um but montel jordan is now a worship leader in atlanta and so he came and we wrote a spoof to this is how we do it that's awesome and he did it that's which, how he did it that is how he did <laughs> yeah. this is how we do it wow which is amazing so uh, and it was just celebrating the 20 years yeah and i remember like the next couple of weeks i'm talking to this guy who was new on staff. And I was like, how's it going and everything? He's like, that's been interesting, you know? And he's like, that, <laughs> which that, is never a good start. No, exactly. You're like, tell me more, you know? And yeah. he's like, I mean, the 20 year thing was really interesting. And he's like, I just didn't, it was just interesting. I, it was, it was fun, but I just thought, where was the celebrating and really honoring what God has done? And, and honestly, as the more he talked, I was like, you're totally right. I mean, but, um, we focused all on the fun and we probably should have all gotten on our knees for a while and, told God how grateful we were for the 20 years yeah. of ministry that he'd given us the opportunity to do. So all that to say, you can, I certainly can get, I've, I, a couple of years ago, hosted Catalyst Conference and had to apologize because I was doing, I was having too much fun. Really? Yeah, as a host. So, I mean, I've definitely gotten in trouble. Yeah. Um, but I just, I just love fun. Yeah. But I also love <clears throat> the mission of the church which is to see more people come to know Jesus and then to help develop people and disciple people into followers of Jesus. Which is fun. It, it can be really fun yeah. and is also really serious. Yeah. So I feel like I, people that work with me would probably say, I also do have this really serious side that I am, uh, I really value and care deeply about. The them. weight of, of your work. That's right. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Fun. Well, yeah, this is, have, this is fun. This is, I'm having fun. I got one more final question. Just, this is how we conclude all of our this interviews. This is how we do it. This is how we conclude it <laughs> actually. Uh, and it's, what would you like thinking back? If you can even think that far back, you're 40. So 20 years old, what is some advice that you'd give to your 20 year old self? Um, or someone who's 20 currently, however you'd like to interpret that. 
What's the most popular answer people give? Is it uh, find a mentor? Yeah, that's that's probably a good one. Like, it, and it really depends on the person that we're yeah. asking and the what field I guess yeah. they're in as well. Read more books. Yeah. Um, I asked this to a seventy-year-old guy who was the former CEO of the Home Depot. Okay. And he said, "I would tell myself to just relax. It's gonna be okay." Which I was like, "Huh? Tell me more." <laughs> right. <laughs> But he was like, well, when you're 20, you just think, oh, I got to do this next. And then I got to do this next. And I'm trying yeah. to like line up. And he was like, the truth is when you get to where I am, you're going to look back on your life and it is not going to be a straight line. It's going to mm -hmm. be like a zigzag, but that's, what's going to get you to where you are. And you're going to look at all those zigzags and realize there was a lot of good that God did in all those. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of a profound answer, but I, you know, I'm kind of stuck on this because this morning I talked to y'all, your yeah. staff about. Just about character, about caring more about who you're becoming in the season versus what you're doing. Yeah. Like that was probably my, I was so hyper-focused on, I got to get the right internship and I got to get the right next step and I got to figure out what's coming up next right. and, it's just, and, and who am I going to marry and yeah. like all that stuff. But I just, um, looking back, the stuff that God was doing that was most important was what he was doing in my character to develop me, um, trying to become a someone who was working harder, um, willing to be more responsible showing up on time to yeah. things yeah i was 15 minutes late today but thank right. you for your grace yeah um things like that yeah. that's what i those character things those are the things that i think 20 year olds that i, I would tell my 20 year old self yeah that's awesome well thank you for your wisdom clay i really appreciate you taking the time Glad again at family camp with your family taking a little bit of time away to do an interview and so i know that bless this has blessed me a lot and i think it'll definitely bless the listeners so Thanks so much for your time. Uh, you probably want to go dry off. I see you're literally sitting I think in your towel still. I think I'm totally dry. Okay. It's I'm not going to feel your leg, but I, I'll take your word for it. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you.